Good afternoon, and I'd like to welcome you to our regularly scheduled meeting of the City and School District Joint Select Committee. Um, I am your chair, Supervisor Jane Kim. I, and I will be joined soon uh, uh, by Supervisor David Campos, um, and we are currently joined by Board of Education Commissioners Sandra Lee Fewer and Jill Wenz. I'd like to thank um, SFGovTV for broadcasting our meeting today and making sure that our meetings are available online and want to recognize I'm Jennifer Lowe and Jesse Larson. And our clerks today are Ms. Esther Casco and Ms. Erica Major. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any announcements? There are none. Colleagues, may I have a motion to excuse Supervisor Yi from today's meeting? Yes. So moved. <laughs> we have a motion and a second, and we can do that without opposition. Madam, Madam Clerk, can you please call the first item? Um, I understand you need to make a motion to excuse Supervisor Campos. I, I don't believe. No? No. Okay. I guess there's not. Supposed to be coming back? Because I have to leave. Yeah. Um. Madam Chair, I verified with our deputy that uh, we need to make a motion to excuse Mr. Campos. Okay, so can we take a motion to um, excuse Supervisor Campos? We have a m so moved, but it is my understanding that Supervisor Campos will be coming back That's here. That's my understanding as well. At so, some point, like, like yeah. 4.15. So Supervisor Avalos is here in Supervisor Campos's place, and that has been done by uh, presidential action, for presidential action, but um, Supervisor Campos will be coming back to take that seat. Okay, well, we'll note that. Okay. So we don't need a motion to excuse. Okay. No, I'm asking, sorry. I assume we don't. Let me verify. Okay, great. Um, in the meantime, mm -hmm. um, Madam Clerk, can we please call the first item? Thank you, Supervisor. Uh, the first item is 150275. It's a hearing on Summer Jobs Plus Initiative and San Francisco Unified School District Summer School programming options as sponsored by you, Supervisor. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Actually, and I don't think I announced that Supervisor Avalos is here um, instead of Supervisor Campos, and he will be um, with us uh, hopefully for the second item. Um, but our first item here today um, is actually an annual item that we've heard um, here at the Select Committee. Um, and I just want to appreciate how important a strong youth uh, job pipeline is for the health and well-being of the city. And I know that there are many entities and stakeholders that work um, to grow this summer program every year um, and continue to make it more successful. Um, I, this was actually a request by um, Commissioner Hydra Mendoza, who's not here yet, um, but I know she wanted to make some um, opening comments. But just briefly in our district, I do know that the Youth Commission, and I see um, several uh, past and current uh, Youth Commissioners here today, um, are currently working with uh, many of our mid-market tech companies to host a Community Benefits Agreement Town Hall on June 11th uh, with a the theme of connection and empowerment with the intent to connect um, young people here in San Francisco to our mid-market areas, job and internship opportunities, as well as um, to engage on policy um, at City Hall. And each of the companies will be offering a workshop that will translate youth voice and input into tangible programs, policies, and opportunities. And this youth town hall will serve as a pilot program for young people to get involved um, with the CBA engagement process and also with um, our tech companies. So I do want to recognize um, that our first presenter here today is Glenn Eagleson from the Department of Youth, Children, and Their Families. And we do also have Darlene 
Cardenas, uh, Sharon Zimmern, and Jennifer Fong from SFUSD, and Thomas Meyer from Office of Economic and Workforce Development, as well as Matt Poland from United Way. So thank you all for being here, Mr. Eelson. Is this on? Or? All right, thank you, supervisors and commissioners. Uh, my name is Glenn Eagleson. I'm with the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families. I'm going to kick off the um, presentation to give you an initial introduction, then turn to our partners to fill in different pieces of the presentation um, from the United Way, the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and the school district. And then I also have information at the end of the presentation about other activities that the Department of Children, Youth, and, the Fam and Families is doing this summer, if, um, if you'd like that information as well. So um, this is actually the fourth year that we're launching into our um, Summer Jobs Plus initiative. As um, you may remember, it was started um, back in 2010, or 2011, excuse me, as a uh, response to President Obama's call to action for communities to provide more employment and internship opportunities for young people throughout the country. Um, Mayor Lee launched the effort um, in partnership with the, uh, the city and the United Way. Um, and. Um, they have served as um, key partners throughout the initiative. The initiative is um, led by both DCYF and the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. DCYF takes the lead in helping to coordinate activities with our community-based partners, and uh, the Office of Economic and Workforce Development works in partnership with the United Way to help coordinate um, employer outreach. Um, and also we work uh, very closely with the San Francisco Unified School District to align their efforts, particularly around their um, internship and career technical education programs, as well as outreach to get young people in engaged in the program. Another partner that's actually not mentioned in here, um, we have started working closely with the Office of Financial Empowerment through our Tax and Treasurer's Office in San Francisco and MyPathUSA. Last year, San Francisco was fortunate to be one of five cities around the country that was selected by uh, City Foundation and Cities for Financial Empowerment to receive a grant to expand financial empowerment strategies for young people. So last summer, uh, City funded a number of actual work experiences for young people and also a research component to look at what organizations were doing around financial literacy and banking. And this summer, we're rolling out uh, an expanded curriculum that all of the agencies funded through DCYF will utilize so that all the young people will get a core amount of financial literacy training, as well as access to quality banking products, so access to uh, credit union accounts, uh, direct deposit, split savings, as a way to encourage them to um, start on a, a solid financial path. So I'm going to turn it over now to uh, Matt Poland with the United Way of the Bay Area to talk more about um, some of the numbers that we've reached last year and our goals for this year. Uh, good afternoon, supervisors, commissioners, um, and thanks for having us today. We're excited to talk to you guys about some of our outcomes from last year. Um, later in the presentation, we'll tell you a little bit more about <clears throat> things that we, ha we expect to uh, add to the program this year. So uh, starting with last year, and I made a slide here to kind of compare last year to this year. Um, and we just handed out copies of the report where you can see this year's data. Um, so in 2013, we had... And do you have had, a copy of the PowerPoint presentation as well? 
We do have a report. Uh, that I don't know. Could we get a copy? We have extra copies. Yeah, I, I don't have one right on me, but yes, I can get a copy. It would be great if someone could get copies for us while you're doing the presentation. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So in 2013, we had uh, 68, just over 6,800 work opportunities for young people. Um, and in 2014, we went up to 7,600. And the proportion, as you can see from the graphs, is roughly the same between the private sector and the public sector. So the, we had the private sector keep pace uh, with the public sector going into 2014. And we hope to, in 2015, to have the private sector take a little bit bigger share of that this year. Um, the, the age breakdown um, was about 66%, 14 to 18, and then 34% older over 18. Uh, and that's better than last year. Last year there was 76% 14-18. It was a goal to serve some older youth, and so we, we did increase the percentage of older youth that were served in the program. Um, and the race-ethnicity breakdown you can see there, and that's, that's very, very similar to last year, and I think pretty representative too. Um, we have the top 10 locations for San Francisco youth that were served, uh, Bayview being number one, then Ingleside, Excelsior, um, down, and so those are the, the where most of the youth came from from the summer, um, and the family income level uh, measure at 30,000 per family. Most of the youth served that we had data for uh, were low income. So we're gonna, I'm going to turn it over quickly to Darlene Cardenas from the San Francisco School District, the uh, Career and Technical Ed Program, to do a deep dive on some of the work that the Career and Technical Education Program did last summer. Sorry, Sharon Zimmer. Thank you. Hi, um, commissioners and supervisors. Thank you for having us come and report out to you today. I am going to be speaking, and I was asked to speak specifically about the Project Labor Agreement. Um, summer internship portion of the CTE um, program. So um, let me just tell you that this program is exciting because we go outside of CTE and we uh, enroll and recruit students from across the district. Because the skilled trades really require the, um, the, the um, facilities, and that's at John O'Connell and up at Washington, and there's not necessarily enough to go around, so this is a great opportunity. We found a lot of students that were interested across the district last year. So they are, we are working with the um, contractors who access the, um, the bond money, and they support the internship with a stipend, and each of our students have the opportunity to spend three days a week at a high school and two days a week on a job shadow. So uh, as you know, working in the skilled trades can be difficult with uh, tools and being able to have an authentic experience. So that authentic experience with the tools is happening at the school sites, and then the visits to the businesses and the industries like Muni, WebCore, San Francisco Airport, those are happening a little bit more of a hands-off, and the students are being able to put these two experiences together. And it's been a really exciting um, uh, program model, and we're really looking forward to expanding it. Last year we had 60 students. Um, involved, 33 males, 27 females, and we had 10 high schools. And um, I already told you about how it's across the district, and we're looking at just pushing the, the, the needle a little bit this year and have an apprenticeship day 
for our summer internship 2015, and we're going to be also adding visiting Bay Area colleges. That includes some of the skilled trade programs at Skyline and City College. I'm, uh, I will take some questions after this presentation if you have any more, but that is the, um, the two slides that I was talking about for the project labor agreement for the school district. Thank you very much. Thank you. So um, we have some exciting stuff that we've been planning for uh, this upcoming summer. Uh, so we've been, we're building off three years of success. One thing we want to do is expand doorway services. And we started to do this actually over the last school year to provide work-based learning experiences. So this is some of the crossover between school district and jobs and work experience that we've been building with Summer Jobs Plus. Um, and that's bringing in employers into the classroom. Um, an example of that is Hour of Code, where we worked with the Career and Technical Education Department to bring some tech companies into the classroom to help young people um, with writing code um, back in January. Um, this year at the Youth Resource Fair, uh, which we'll tell you a little bit about uh, on the next slide, we're going to have a focus on job interviews. So in the past, we did mock interviews, and we had employers present, and some were doing job interviews. So there's a much heavier push for job interviews at the event. So we have at least 10 employers already confirmed uh, to do many job interviews, um, and there may be as many as 15 uh, that are actually doing job interviews, some of which will actually offer jobs on the spot. Uh, and uh, a reason that we, in the past, we've had the Youth Resource Fair in May, we moved it to April so that there would be an opportunity to apply for some of the great public programs like Work Creation, the PUC's Project Poll, those kind of programs. And they've agreed to hold some of their slots. So now the youth coming to the Youth Resource Fair will have access to those. In the past, a lot of those applications were already closed by the time we had the Resource Fair. Um, so the Mayor's Job Challenge, uh, that is going to be held on May 21st. And Thomas Myers is going to cover that a little bit more on the next slide. Uh, a couple other things that we're trying out is a little experiments on the ground, and, and one is a, a pilot program we're hoping to do at Mission High School, so still in the planning stages, but hopefully by this summer we're going to be providing internships specifically for students in credit recovery. Um, we had found in the past that students that were in credit recovery didn't have the time to be in a job or an internship, um, and so we're working with some employers, SF Made, LinkedIn, hopefully some other tech companies to create internships just for them so in the afternoon they can go to an internship and during the uh, in the morning go to their credit recovery and then have a connection be made between the two and then see if, how, if that helps them the next year if they're more successful and more likely to graduate. We're going to do that, hopefully do that for about 30 young people. Um, and something we tried it last year that was, uh, uh, again, that was successful and we're going to do again this year's neighborhood job fairs. We have young people from the neighborhood apply for a small business in their neighborhood and we make matches. And we did this in the Outer Sunset and we also did it um, in, in District 10 in the Bayview. Uh, and so we're hoping to do a few of those this year, too. And it's, it's been a great tool um, where we've had supervisors involved, Supervisor Cohen um, and Supervisor Tang involved in <coughs> sponsoring the event, small business from the district, young people, and a nonprofit from the district. And it's been really uh, successful in that way. So we're hoping to continue those again this year. I'm going to pass it along now for, uh, to Thomas Myers to talk about a couple of the big upcoming events. Thank you, and good afternoon, commissioners and supervisors. Uh, you have a couple of flyers in your handouts, uh, a couple of color flyers. Uh, the one I want to pay particular attention to is entitled Now Hiring. This is the flyer where youth can actually come to the job fair 
to the Youth Resource Fair on April 11th, and they can sign up online in advance at the address, which is 2015sfsummerjobs.eventbrite, that's B-R-I-T-E, eventbrite.com. And then they can actually sign up to attend the Youth Resource Fair, either on their smartphones or online, anywhere. And in addition, there is another flyer in there for individuals, adults, and mentors to come to the Youth Resource Fair on April 11th, where you can also sign up to assist with interviews and, and uh, resources and providing some guidance to the youth that will be in attendance on April 11th. And as Matt mentioned earlier, on May 21st at uh, 8.30 at City Hall, this is the Mayor's Job Challenge event, which recognizes the funders and employer participants in the program. And it's an event where we recognize these employers for their contributions to the Summer Jobs Program. And this is the event where they also make commitments, and they're being recognized for those commitments. Um, we'll have more information about that as May 21st comes uh, but I want to pay particular attention again to the April 11th, uh, 10 to 2 o'clock, the Youth Resource Fair at Moscone Center. And I'll be available for any questions you have. Thanks. Thank you. Um, so, Supervisors and Commissioners, that was the end of our presentation for Summer Jobs Plus. Um, I also have some additional information about other activities DCYF is doing this summer, but we thought we might want to take a break to see if you have questions, particularly around the Summer Jobs Plus initiative. That would be great. Um, I think it would be a good time to take questions first. And um, I did have a few questions, and then I'll open up the floor to um, the rest of the committee as well. Um, I... It, by the way, the report was great, and it was great to kind of see snapshots in terms of, um, you know, what individual youth and some of the employers... Um, what they gained from the program. I was curious uh, what mechanism was available for all of our youth um, uh, participants to report back on their experience and evaluate their work site or the city program effort. Yes, so at the end of every summer, we issue a survey. So across Summer Jobs Plus, young people, employers, and our nonprofit partners uh, get a survey um, and report back to us. So I would say a few highlights for, uh, from last year that we heard from young people, which have been common themes, is we'd like to see more job opportunities, particularly for 16, 17-year-olds, since most employers want to hire 18 and over, thus our credit recovery pilot and some of that. Um, they, they like to see... Um, uh, better coordination across the departments and the you know knowing where the opportunities are and so we're building out the website so that it has our website now has a lot of the major programs uh, like work creation and PUC listed on it uh, so the youth were not always confused about where to go for which program and so we're starting to solve some of that and at the youth resource fair there's going to be um, access available for that and so again this year we'll do a survey mm -hmm. what were kind of the top or general positive um, feedback and then things to improve. Yeah, so those were some of the things to improve. Right. Um, overall, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we definitely get a lot of feedback of thanks for helping me getting my, get my job and start my career. Um, they like the Youth Resource Fair um, as an opportunity to build their skills, meet, you know, some of them not only find a job there, but they meet a nonprofit that helps them. Um, we get good feedback about the doorways. So in 2012, we didn't have doorways and there wasn't on the ground, wasn't an easy on the ground point to get help. And that since the doorways and we have a place for young people to actually go in person, um, we always get good feedback about the doorway organizations. So, And 
Um, I know this is a generalization, and it's definitely not always true this way, but sometimes you know, our, pu- our public and nonprofit sector um, employers may have more support mechanisms in place to mentor and train young mm-hmm. people that are coming to jobs, and maybe sometimes our private sector um, employers don't as much. What do we do to ensure a higher level of consistency to make sure that our youth are getting more even um, experience through the Summer Jobs Plus program? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it starts with... Um, the screening that our doorways do Mm -hmm. um, and make sure that the young people are ready for that experience. So not every young person is going to be ready for a private sector experience. Another program that is more supportive, has more uh, counseling and things built in uh, might be more appropriate. But we do... We have an internal internship we run out of United Way called Business Pathways, and we have staff folks that are checking in on the young people, making sure their needs are met. We use our doorways for some of that. Um, and there's other you know, private sector programs that we always act as a support for. So, And, and regarding the, uh, uh, the credit recovery and internship program, which I think is a great um, plus to this program, um, are those internships paid? As yes. well? Okay. Yep, they'll be paid minimum wage for I, okay. eight weeks. Okay, because I imagine, and I hear from students sometimes, that they need the summer um, yeah. to um, be able to earn wages, and so yeah. sometimes it's a choice between credit recovery and being able to get yeah. a summer job. So this kind and of also, addresses that issue. Also, I mean, there might be some administrative hurdles, but we've been told that we could also possibly get credit for them this summer, um, so they'll get additional G credit if we, if we play our cards right, so... And my final question, just since the introduction of the pilot program two years ago, what gains have we made to employ disconnected youth or undocumented youth, youth that are harder to reach? Yeah, so I I would say... Homeless, undocumented, LGBTQ, foster youth. Exactly. So um, I think we've made a lot of gains. So the doorways have been significant part of that. And so each of our doorways, there'll be eight of them this summer, um, reach targeted, either targeted demographics or targeted neighborhoods. Um, to cut a couple of your questions, so we have Lyric as a doorway to reach LGBT youth. We have um, young community developers and reaching the Bayview. And we have, uh, as far as foster youth, we opened a doorway at City College that's partnered with the Guardian Scholars Program that, that specifically serves foster youth. And that's been very successful. Um, Go ahead, man. Undocumented youth. Yeah. I was going to say, excuse me, Mr. President. Um, the other thing is that. For a lot of young people that would need more support, they're actually being served more through our, um, our public programs. About two-thirds of the opportunities through the Summer Jobs Plus umbrella are actually through city-funded or city-run programs. And so that's where a lot of young people that might need more support can get, um, can get, those, get those services. In terms of undocumented youth, for the last two years, we were able to fund some opportunities for undocumented youth through some of the private fundraising that we had. Um, that's still a commitment on behalf of the partnership. We're very committed to make sure, as is the mayor, as is Maria Sue, to make sure that these opportunities are available to all young people in San Francisco. We're still trying to figure out, um, we're still working on our fundraising plan, and it, mm-hmm. um, how many opportunities we can fund depends on how much money we're able to raise. That's great to hear, and I, I also know there's some education that also needs to happen with employers, even, even some of our employers that work regularly with youth. We also had a youth intern who midway through the program, she was getting a stipend, the uh, program uh, coordinator realized that she was undocumented and tried to cut her internship at our office, Um, but we were, you know, luckily we had an immigration attorney on our staff who was able to work with them to keep um, this person on our staff, but I'm sure that comes up um, in other cases as well, and I think we are fortunate to have immigration in-house expertise, but that doesn't always happen, and so I, I assume that some education needs to happen as well amongst what you can do and what you can't. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
DCYF kind of unrelated or related to this is also working with the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs right. to um, support um, a lot of legal service access and um, legal education for our immigrant communities. And so that's a part of the resource we can tap into, as well as funding a um, uh, program specifically for DREAMers called their Dream SF program. Great. Thank you. Commissioner Wynn. Not on. Thank you. I want to know about um, the data for last year and this year, the number of jobs, um, lists work opportunities. So I kind of want to know how well we're doing at filling all of those. How many do we have? Is this this by this do we mean these were how many young yeah, people we have working? Work opportunities. These yes, are that, yes. right placement opportunities or actual actually placed. Okay, actually placed. That's good. And is that but do. Is it the, are these numbers the same? In other words, is every j summer job opportunity that we've created filled? No. So can you tell us at some time sort of what? Oh, oh no, those, what are, are, those all represent placement numbers. I thought what you're asking is, is it the same type of opportunity? And it's as Glenn was saying, it's they're different depending on which public programs. Yeah. What I want to know yeah. is how do we do on filling every opportunity that we that you and that everybody creates? How, what kind of, I hate to say this, but, you know, if we were in a college, we'd say, what kind of yield do we have, right? Right. <laughs> because, and how, and then um, how is that related to uh, the persistence? I mean, how many employers, what kind of evaluations do we have from the employers? Are they offering more more job, summer jobs once they've done would, this the second so time? So I don't have hard data on it, but I would mm -hmm. say that we do have more private sector opportunities that we're usually able to fill when we're talking entry-level jobs. There's a lot of those right now. I mean, it's, an, uh -huh. it's, a, you know, it's a buyer's market in the economy. So um, we often don't have enough young people that are work-ready and, and work-ready enough and pass muster with the employers. <clears throat> and so that's where the doorways are screening and finding those young people. Right. So I don't have a number for that, but we definitely have more opportunities on the private sector side than we have. Okay, so it, prepared at, um, and are all the public sector job opportunities that we have? Have we filled all of those? That'd be Glenn. Yeah, they're oversubscribed. Okay, yeah. we have no good. Filling those. Um, so at some time, you know, like maybe for next year, it would be good to when we do this again to actually have that data about how how we're doing on that. And that leads me to my second question, which is for the school district about. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, for instance, what are we doing to get more kids applying for or being available or being ready for the private sector jobs that we can't fill so that they get work experience? And then, but my, I mean, that just came up from this answer, but what I really wanted to know is um, about connections between these summer job opportunities and, on, and their work in school. So. You know, right. people have a job in the summer, great. I'm happy they do. I want them to make money. I want them to have give, uh, employment skills and do well. And But then I also want that to be uh, something that uh, we leverage to increase their success in school and uh, hopefully, as I know you're working for and we all are hoping to expand the experiential learning opportunities for kids during the school year. So what kind of connections are we making and so, how are we um, how well are me, we doing? Let it? me separate a little bit here. Okay. So I, I reported out today on PLA, which includes um, 
a, a pool of over 2,000 students who are in our CTE academies, and they get a lot of job readiness skills. It's 50% of their curriculum within their two-year program. Um, and we spent a lot of time this year helping them fill out the applications because we, we noticed who was filling out the applications for the internships and who wasn't, and, um, and we want um, the district has a, um, an access and equity uh, lens on everything we do. So we went in and made sure that we reduced as many barriers as possible. So they are filling them out um, a lot better this year. They're very complicated. That's new vocabulary for them, I-9s and, and all this stuff. So they're doing a much better job. We're going to get a huge amount of applicants. So that addresses who's filling it out. And it, I think it also addresses, for the students in our CTE programs, how are they um, bringing this back? How does this experience bring it back? For some of our students, they we try very hard to make sure that they stay in the industry sector that they're studying. Um, but, you know, a business in finance, a banking, I mean, we all need financial literacy. So uh, the placement is really a key part of the internship program for the SFUSD, and we really look at who's ready. And the majority of these are private sector jobs, so we have to support those, those businesses as much as we have to support the students. And so we have orientations for both our business partners and our students. We have ongoing workshops. We have packets, you know, everything you can think of, how to ask for more work, how to ask for less work. So I think that we've got those students. Now, these other students that I'm talking about, which we're really excited to expand out to for the Project Labor Agreement um, internship, we, they have the same services in the summer, but I, they, they don't have that follow-through during the school year. So um, it, it feels a little episodic for the, for the PLA kids who come out of the different high schools. But we have the same services. So they have that orientation. They have those workshops. We make sure that they fill out timesheets. And those employers are supported just as well. We spend a lot of time developing the work, uh, the work-based learning rotation for the summer. So Muni and, and Darlene Cardenas, they sit down, and they really work out what those students are going to be doing when they visit those two days a week. And it's based on curriculum. It's based on a plan. And um, we don't wing it. So when, if I could just follow up for a minute. So when you um, say those students, it's because we don't have academies. They're right. not in academies. They're not in academies. The other students you're talking about are going back in with their cohort, even though their cohort isn't all at the job. At the, they come back together where they have an opportunity with their teachers and among their peers to discuss what they've learned, to apply it, to sit, talk about how it applies. And, yeah, and build on it. So... Um, mm. You know, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, we have a mechanism for the CTE students, but as we try to expand this opportunity to students outside of that, we we might want to think about touching base with them during the school year and helping them make those connections and build on the experience because, uh, you know, we don't want it to be a one-off. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wins, and I do just want to recognize that we are joined by Supervisor David Campos and also the School Board Commissioner Shimon Walton. Thank you for both being here. Commissioner Mendoza. Thank you. Um, first of all, I really want to thank United Way, OEWD, uh, DCYF, and SFUSD for all of their work around this. Um, you know, where this is our third summer now and um, fourth summer. Wow. Um, so this is our fourth summer, and I think... Um, 
part of the challenge coming into this was not ever having a coordinated effort or a place for our young people to go where they can um, have their applications come in and on the back end have jobs available for them. So this is, everybody's been kind of doing their own thing, making their own connections and having their own relationships. So this whole effort has been really tremendous just in terms of the relationships that have build, been built over the years. Um, having said that, there's also a lot that still needs to get done. I think part of um, what we've been talking about as a team is um, how do we ensure that those uh, internship programs that already exist are folded into the work that we're already doing. So, you know, we have a lot of our departments that have created their own internships, and so we, we've been working more closely with them. So, so places like Project Pool and the Reckon Park and um, Sanford, the airport and DPW, um, we're wanting to make sure that all of those jobs get folded in, into our work as well and that we're really um, thinking about the, the different cohorts of kids that we're wanting to work with. Um, I think when United Way was brought on, this was under the, the President's challenge, and it was really about making these opportunities available. I think over the years, and correct me if I'm wrong, team, but I think over the years we have recognized that we're missing pockets of kids. And so how do we create um, a system that actually caters to all of the different pockets instead of having one system that we're trying to fit all the kids into? So... Um, you know, I think we've all been really working diligently about how we make sure that our kids just have the same, have the same opportunities, first of all, across the board. And, um, you know, when I look at the numbers from the snapshot of the San Francisco, of the, of the Jobs Plus initiative, it's been really heartening to see the, the neighborhoods that we're serving, which I really appreciate, um, and the diversity of the kids that we've been serving. Um, and, I, and I have to say, you know, 7,600 jobs that we counted just from, um, Jan you know, January to summer and not even thinking about the jobs that, were, that we've collected along the way, um, particularly around seasonal jobs and, and those that actually have stayed on permanently, um, it's a tremendous opportunity for our young people. And, and when we think about the businesses that have stepped up over the years, I mean, when we have our job fair, and I really, I'm really glad to see so many young people in the room because we want every single one of you to come down. I mean, we used to, we, we've had Starbucks and a real champion at Starbucks when David Chu was there for, for some time where he was hiring kids on the spot. He was interviewing them. They would go through not one or two interviews, but four interviews over the course of the morning. And, you know, the kids would get filtered out throughout. And by the end of the day, he was saying, okay, now I want you to connect with this person and in you know, two weeks come down and talk to us and go through orientation. And you know, the kids were just stunned that they were picking up these jobs right away. And they were, you know, as you look through the photos, you should also just kind of note the, the level of engagement and enthusiasm that the kids had because for many of them, this was the first time that they were getting this one-on-one -on, -one on how to interview and you know, how to, how to interact with another adult and to express how you feel and to really think about what area of industry you may want to go into. Um, the last thing I'll say is just around the CTE, and I think this is probably where we, um, you know, we want to start figuring out how to work better. Um, you know, through our CTE programs, many of our young people uh, during their internship can only work 20 hours a week and they do it for a shorter period of time than what we've, we've set up over the summer. Um, and so we want to just figure out how we can 
find employers that are more conducive to the students that come through CTE. And then we also want to think about how we um, collect the data on the SFUSD students because when we think about the 7,600 young people that we're serving, I mean, a significant number of them are SFUSD students that just come through a variety of different pathways. So, um, you know, the, we, I think we always have room for improvement, um, but I, I have to say that this is one of the mayor's um, signature initiatives that he's extremely proud of and, and one that I think uh, all of us that have been engaged in it is, are really happy to see so many of our young people that, that show up the lessons that they've learned, um, you know, as a mother of a 17-year-old whose kid got a summer job and is still in the job um, is pretty remarkable. And, you know, the, the company that he's working for has been extremely supportive in his, with his schedule. Um, I mean, this is a kid that now shows up to work a half an hour early so that he can be prepared, that actually is, is managing his time, which is like for a 17-year-old boy, with all due respect, um, is tremendous, um, and you know, and he's 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 learning how to negotiate. So, um, just a quick story: he recently was asked to do some some recruiting. I'm mean, sorry, some coaching on the on the weekend uh, for some soccer kids in the neighborhood. But he, it's the same day that he works, and so he had to go in and negotiate time off. Um, and, or switches hours, and you know I wasn't doing it for him. So <laughs> he really had to kind of sort through that and understand that you just don't go in and say, oh, by the way, I'm doing this. It's really about um, you know being respected and being respectful um, with your employer. And and our employers have just been really incredible with the young people. And then those that haven't been able to take in young people, um, they've been able to pony up some money that's been that's enabled us to expand our jobs in the public sector. And so I want to thank all of our employers that um, give in lieu of of um, having young people in their positions. And you know the the one thing that I always enjoy is this is the department head meeting that the mayor calls in the beginning of all of this to basically say summer jobs are coming up. You need to be thinking about how this fits in your budget and ensuring that every single department head is thinking about how to step up and step in and bring in a young person into, into all of our worlds here at City Hall as well. So um, I just want to, again, extend my gratitude to all of the people who worked tremendously hard to make this happen. I don't think we thank you guys enough, but I know it's a lot of juggling and a lot of coordinating, and we're getting better and better at it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. So, um, actually, at this time, I would like to open up for general uh, for public comment on this item. So, if you'd like to speak on item number one, um, please do come up. Madam Chair, if I could ask. Um, so, we did have two additional pieces of the presentation. One is someone I, from the district. Yeah, to talk I was. About I wanted recovery. to do public comment first. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Seeing no public comment on this item, public comment is now closed. Um, so I, I imagine it's very brief because we do have a whole other item that most people are here to speak on. So, yes, Mr. Eagleson, please do come, uh, finish up. Hi, I'm D Director Jennifer Fong from the school district in charge of extended learning and support. And there should be a handout that you received on the summer credit recovery options. 
And so I just wanted to let you know that the school district is offering summer school to help students uh, to graduate. And this year we are really trying to expand the program from four sites to five schools. And at each of the schools we are trying to have additional teachers in order to meet the needs. So where we've had about 2,000 students participating, I'm hoping to increase that number by several hundred. And we've had about 3,500 courses completed. And I'm hoping to also increase that number maybe up to 4,000. So we hope that the students are engaged in you know, very productive summer learning uh, for, you know, primarily for 12th graders um, and then going down to 11th, 10th, 9th, and then also newcomer English learners who may not have had an opportunity to take some of these courses. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Fong. Um, are there any questions or comments on, on this item? Thank you so much. Um, it's actually great to see um, summer, uh, summer school um, grow um, at the school district, especially having been on the board for the one summer that we don't, didn't offer any summer school um, and the, the immense gap um, that existed in the city during that time due to immense budget cuts. So it's really uh, great to see that this program is growing again. Mr. Eagleson, did you want to make closing comments? Um, do, I have a few last-minute slides about DCOF's activities. you want me to postpone that? I'm fine. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Eagleson. Um, and I just wanted to um, thank all of the departments um, on, this, on this program now ongoing for uh, two years. I'm moving into this third summer. Um, I know that um, I also want to recognize that there is coordination that needs to happen. I just want to recognize United Way and, of course, um, Commissioner Mendoza from the mayor's office for being able to convene um, the expertise and talents that all of our departments have. Um, but often uh, it can be difficult to convene and uh, bring all these very, very busy individuals and experts um, into a room together um, to make a program truly successful. And it's great to hear that we've had really positive outcomes over the last two summer. And I look forward to... Um, ongoing um, outcomes um, after the end of this summer um, and the growing success of the Summer Jobs Plus programming. Okay, seeing no further comments, um, colleagues, can we take a motion to file this item? So we have a motion and we can do that without opposition. Madam Clerk, can we please call item number two? Thank you, Supervisor. It's file number 150276. It's a hearing on the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency and SFUSD Transportation Coordination, also sponsored by you, Commissioner, uh, Supervisor. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, colleagues, uh, Commissioner Fewer um, did approach our office um, to make a request um, to do a hearing on this item, so I do want to give her an opportunity to give um, um, an introduction and context for this hearing. But I also want to draw um, your attention to the San Francisco Public Press article that was also included in the packet, um, which outlined um, some of the stories that we, I think, often hear um, from our families and, and our students in terms of the challenges of um, um, the transportation options um, to get to the school of your choice. And I know that this has continued to be a growing issue um, as we have slowly ramped down um, our yellow school bus program um, system 
coupled with our 2010 neighborhood assignment process. And this is really an opportunity for us to have um, both the city um, and the school district, in particular um, SFMTA, to have a discussion about how we are going to address the needs of our youth and our families, um, many of whom travel long distance to get to school, and also um, their after-school program. I know that um, the Youth Commission and the Student Advisory Council um, has been discussing this, um, this item. And back in 2012, when they did a San Francisco Youth Vote Survey, 38% of our SFUSD students um, stated that they took more than one bus um, to get to school. And I, I do represent a district that actually doesn't have any high schools um, in our district, so I know many of our youth do have to commute um, often very far um, to get to the high school of their choice or the one that they get into. And while I think we've been very successful, particularly with our youth commissioner and youth leaders, in ensuring um, free muni for youth, which has been a tremendously successful program, we want to make sure that our um, the city and the school district continues to discuss in terms of how we can best serve the needs of our families and youth. Commissioner Fewer. Yeah. Thank you, um, Supervisor Kim. I requested this item to be heard in order to receive an update on media relations with the San Francisco Unified School District, but also to get an update on muni service to our public school students. At San Francisco Unified School District, we are constantly and continually asking ourselves how well we are serving our students, so it is only natural that we would inquire how city services are serving our students. At the San Francisco Unified School District, we educate 57,000 public school children, the majority of which fall within the federal poverty guidelines. Therefore, many of our students are dependent on public transportation to get to and from school. Also, the Board of Education has decided to reduce the yellow bus service, making our students more dependent on public transportation. Um, with the increase of 10,000 new San Francisco residents for the past four years, um, every year, it's, I think our population increased by 10,000 new residents. I think it would be interesting to see how these new residents have impacted mini service, if at all, for our students. Also, with the implementation of free muni, has student ridership increased, and how has this affected muni service? Lastly, what is the current service to our students, particularly on muni lines that serve many schools, and how are these decisions made? Um, we thank you for this presentation, as we have not had an update for some time. This joint committee is the perfect venue to have this conversation, and I, and I am sure my colleagues, look forward to hearing and learning a lot. On behalf of the San Francisco Unified School District, I would like to extend our gratitude and appreciation for Muni service to our students and their families. As, you, as I mentioned before, many of them are dependent on it. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Fewer. Um, so I did uh, just want to acknowledge and welcome um, Candace Sue, um, the Director of Communication for SFMTA, um, for opening comments. And I also want to recognize Julie Kirschenbaum, um, Kirschbaum from the Operation Planning and Scheduling Manage uh, from SFMTA. And I believe that they will be presenting first, um, previous to uh, David Golden at SFUSD. Okay. Thank you. Um, so good afternoon, um, Chair Kim, Supervisors, Commissioners, staff, and the public. I am Candace Sue, uh, the Director of Communications for SFMTA. I'm pleased to be joined um, with you today uh, uh, by Julie Kirschbaum from our Transit Operations Division, um, as well as Jason Lee from our Financial and Information Technology Group. Um, in addition, um, we have um, Sulu Palega here from our Muni Transit Assistance Program, all of which who uh, may step in to help answer questions. So thank you for having me um, and for uh, allowing me to offer some opening remarks. 
Um, I'd like to just start by contextualizing who we are at the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Um, and at SFMTA, um, as we're known, uh, we have a diverse and wide-ranging set of responsibilities for the city managing ground transportation um, and the network um, that we serve. Uh, we have also many things in common uh, with the San Francisco Unified School District in that we are a large, diffuse um, organization with multiple stakeholders with varying needs and different expectations um, that we are working very hard to fulfill upon. Um, and in part, I believe both organizations are also dealing with changing expectations in the public sphere about how information comes together and how we uh, deliver that information to our constituencies. So while we have um, many areas within our organization that are currently working together successfully and have been doing so for years, there are clear opportunities for us to do more. And we have some ideas that we'll share on that towards the end of the presentation. But I'll just say for now that I'm very pleased that um, we see that there is an opportunity and have been actively um, figuring out together how we can work more closely um, to improve our communications and, and our services to the constitu constituencies that we serve. Um, so um, back to SFMTA and what we do, we have a lot of programs that work together to serve students um, and to help them travel safely to and from school. Um, and I'd like to provide some context um, for all of what we do, um, including those on the pedestrian safety side, um, starting with Vision Zero, um, but also talking a little bit about our Safe Routes to School program, the School Crossing Guards program, um, and accessible services. And then I'm going to turn it over to Julie Kirschbaum um, from our Transit Operations Division to really uh, dive into the transit services component, um, as well as um, Free Muni for Youth. Um, I will note that um, just having uh, listened to the presentation on summer jobs, that the Free Muni for Youth program um, that has been so well received in the community is a year-round program. So it doesn't just serve students while they're in school during the academic year. They also allow students to get to activities um, year-round, including jobs. So um, just to spend a moment on Vision Zero. Um, Vision Zero is such an enormous part of our work right now um, at the MTA, particularly on the sustainable street side, that I, I, want, I, I felt like it was important to talk about this. Um, and I'll just start by saying December 2013 was a really, really bad month for um, traffic safety. And there were a lot of tragedies um, that month um, and, and deaths um, in the traf uh, traffic deaths. And one of those that really um, captured the attention and the hearts of so many of us um, and so many in the public space is um, the tragic loss of Sophia Liu. Um, and Sophia Liu was a six-year-old Sherman Elementary student who was killed in a crosswalk in the evening by an Uber driver as she was returning home from a New Year's um, Eve celebration. This child could have been anyone's child. Um, and it, it was, it's deeply tragic, and it has catalyzed us and moved everyone in the city, particularly you, Chair Kim, to do something about it and to really act. Um, and I think that that's an important moment to recognize. Um, and through um, Supervisor Kim's work and that of many advocates and city leaders, um, that has led us to 
a new policy goal for the city, for the entire city, of zero traffic deaths by 2024. Um, and it is a policy that nearly every city agency at this point has adopted. The premise is pretty simple. The premise is that traffic deaths are preventable. They're not accidents, which means that we can do something about them. And I think what's important about this goal is that it's big, but it's also motivating. So it's driving the city to work together in new and different ways. Um, and we believe that's very achievable, and we'd like to thank Supervisor Kim for putting that forward and really championing this work. Just a little bit about what's happening. Um, you hear a lot about the, the three E's, and some of them are listed here, um, in particular education enforcement and engineering. There is also an evaluation component with our partners at public health. Um, there's a policy component um, to changing laws, and then there's engagement and advocacy. Um, and SFMTA has some key roles in this, particularly around the engineering and the education sphere. Again, not diving into too many details, so I'll just move on um, mm -hmm. into the Safe Routes and, for Schools and program. Actually, yes, Ms. Sure. Sue, I'm sorry to interrupt you. We actually did do a hearing last month just specifically on Safe Routes to School and the capital plan, so I think you can skip over the next three slides. Okay, I'm happy to do that. I was going to acknowledge that <laughs> you had heard that, but I did want to also just contextualize this information. Um, and the 25 schools that are participating in the Safe Routes to School program, as well as where they where they are across the city. Um, okay, and then also our traffic guard program. So moving along, I just want to mention that we also have a program that you may not be aware of, which is with our accessible services program and access SFUSD. Uh, this is more of a jobs program and a participation program that we run um, through this uh, group. Um, there is a coffee cart job program that encourages students to get some experience, real-world experience, um, by selling and maintaining a coffee cart at our offices, um, and it gives them a chance to kind of have a role. Um, some of these students also have the opportunity to be like mystery shoppers that go on the system to report on how um, we are doing in terms of accessible services and report back to us. And there's also a, a reward component to that because they give awards to operators who are doing a good job. So it's a self-reinforcing program. And then finally, we have participation on our MAC committee um, through this. So that uh, overall, just wanted to set some context um, and just say that there are many areas that we're working together, and often when there is a direct connection um, at the level, um, at the school level, um, where there's interest on the school side, um, and there's a program that uh, corresponds on our side, we do we do very well um, with lots of um, lots of opportunity again to do more. I had one other slide I wanted to share, which is data-related. Um, you might have seen this in the last presentation, but I think it's, it's important to put forward in the context of what we're about to talk about on the transit side, which basically shows some data on how people, how children are getting to school. So um, both by um, grade level as well as by mode. And you can see in the, uh, in the, the top boxes, uh, there are um, a fair number of younger children into middle school walking to school and living and within close enough distance to do that. Um, as they get older and transition into the upper middle grades in high school, there is more of a shift into public transit. 
um, and a still a fair amount of students who are driving, more than 50% in, in this case. And this comes from data that is uh, trend data. It comes out, um, out of a contracted relationship with uh, UC Berkeley that does this survey every year, so it gives us a chance to see a wide range of data. We have also had the opportunity to partner with the school district to float a youth survey that served to um, uh, older kids. Um, and through that, you can see this data in the bottom two bullets that SFUSD high schoolers, approximately 46% of them are riding Muni to school, uh, to school, and 63% from school. So more, um, there are more high school students who are using Muni to get home, and we can imagine why, parents at work and the like. Um, and so, uh, Commissioner Fewer, you, you mentioned that uh, the MTA provides some important services for students, but in turn, it's important for the transportation system as a whole to have our students choosing a sustainable mode of transportation, be it walking or, or taking Muni, um, for the transportation system to work. So we recognize that, that as well, and we think um, both Free Muni for Youth as well as all the programs that we can do to encourage the use of sustainable forms of transportation are very important um, to the city as a whole. So I'll stop there, and I'd like to turn it over to Julie Kirschbaum to take you through the next section. Thank you, Ms. Sue. Good afternoon. I'm Julie Kirschbaum. Um, the Municipal Railway, or Muni, has a really long history of serving transportation needs of children and, and schools. And when we go out and we do focus groups with students, one of the things that I hear more than anything is that for middle school and high school students, the bus is independence. And, and that's something that a, a suburban community you don't necessarily have. Um, students and, and young people are using the bus all across the city and that's something that we want to encourage and we want to grow. Um, we have really robust options for our transit students. The system as a whole is designed so that almost all destinations are within a quarter mile of a transit stop. So that's no more than about a five minute walk and that most trips require one transfer or less. 38% um, transfers is about on par with what we see in the system. So we have a system that's a grid. Um, so you may have to transfer one time, but with that, we're able to get almost anywhere in the city without owning a car. Uh, we also provide supplemental service um, after school to better serve um, student needs and also so that the pulse of a school letting out doesn't overwhelm the rest of the system. And I'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're very excited that we've also been able to provide free Muni for low income and moderate youth. And this is an exciting time in the system because we are increasing service, in part due to some of the increased demand that you mentioned, both from more people moving here, more people using transit, and when you make transit more affordable, you also see increased demand. This is a map of the schools in the city shown in black, as well as the transit system. So you can see that really dense network of service that we have, and almost every school being within about a five-minute walk. Uh, th this 
um, colorful map here shows all the student boarding activity that we've been recording through the uh, Free Muni for Youth. So as people tag on with their clipper card, uh, we know where they're using the system. And the routes that jump out are routes like the 38 and the Richmond and the 8X and Visitation Valley and Chinatown, the 29 Sunset, which serves schools across um, some of the uh, outer neighborhoods, including the Sunset, um, all the way over to the Bayview, um, the 14 Mission, the 49 up Van Ness, um, and, and, and down the line. So we do have a set of routes that we watch very closely for school activity, and we increase the service during school time, so in the morning, um, as well as from about the 2 to 4 period in the afternoon. Um, I, as I mentioned, we do have about 27 um, routes uh, that are shown in the map below and match some of those routes that we talked about. So the green line, for example, is the uh, 28, which is a heavily used school route. The, the purple line is the 38. These are buses that start empty at school at the end of the day. Um, and what that allows is for students to just leave their building and get on the bus and then they do the regular school route. Um, we are not, because we receive uh, Federal Transit Administration funds, we're not able to just have school-only routes um, or routes that just have students on them. But by adding these extra routes into the schedule, they essentially fill up with students and then they continue to do uh, the regular routes. Um, we uh, recent, we're, we're always evaluating and responding to requests where we need this. And we uh, recently, I think within the last uh, six weeks, added one on uh, Folsom and 20th at John O'Connell, uh, where two schools had recently come together. Uh, so there was an increased uh, demand for service. So we um, added a bus there. And then Sulu's folks, um, our Muni uh, Transit Assistance Program, they help uh, facilitate getting students on those vehicles. They meet with principals, um, and they, um, they often ride the buses when students um, are most vulnerable. So th that's been a really successful program as well. We try for that program as much as possible to hire people that come from some of the low-income neighborhoods that students are riding from so that there's a relationship and it's a, it's a known uh, face and a, a known commodity. So um, that's something that has worked very well and is a resource um, to principals at, uh, throughout the city. Um, this map here shows the um, free muni for youth activity um, by, um, by zip code. Um, you can see over 26,000 students have enrolled in the program since its inception in March of 2013. Uh, we extended the eligibility to include 18-year-olds. Um, as well as 19 to 22-year-olds are enrolled in the SFUSD Special Education Services. Um, the program costs um, over the two years on the order of about $8 million. Um, our next challenge will be to um, find a, a stable long-term funding source uh, for this program. But um, it is heavily used throughout the city, um, in particular in the southeast quadrant, um, as well as um, the um, uh, north of, of market. Um, we are also always trying to learn more about how students use the system. Uh, we did, did the transit effectiveness project, which is a big system study um, in 2007 and 2008. I had the opportunity to do focus groups 
with students and to really talk to them. We, we partnered with the Youth Commission, so we had uh, student facilitators, so we trained the students and then they had a dialogue. And, and that was really interesting and we learned a lot about um, some of the challenges and opportunities of riding Muni. Uh, we also um, were able to secure a, a, quite a bit of real estate on the 2013 um, Youth Vote Survey. Um, to try to give a better understanding of how students were, um, what their perceptions were on the system and how they were traveling. Um, in general, um, the students in the, in the school district um, gave Muni high marks um, in terms of on-time performance, in terms of uh, safety. Uh, some of the things that catch our attention is, you know, when we ask them, you know, well, how many of you are planning to ride as adults, you know, and, you know, less than 50% answer yes. Um, but that, I think, is maybe just a short-term being enamored with the automobile. What we actually find is that when kids develop habits and learn how to ride transit young, that that's a, a, a something that they carry throughout their life. Um, I'm also excited to report on what I think is a really positive upward trajectory for the overall Muni system, but it particularly affects students that may have to make more than one transfer or who are traveling maybe a long distance to get to um, a school. Um, about six months ago, we, we hit a, a, a pretty low point in terms of service delivery. We did not have enough operators, and we were missing about 5% of the service every day. 5% doesn't sound very much, but that's actually 500 trips. So that's 500 buses that were supposed to show up that, that didn't. Um, if you're somebody who takes the 12 Folsom to school, that, that means if one trip is missing, you might have had to wait you know, 30 minutes for, for the next vehicle. Um, we've had an intensive operator hiring program underway. We're graduating 40 to 45 operators a month. And we are now exceeding our goals of delivering 99 plus percent of the scheduled service, uh, which is also improving our on-time performance. Uh, we are also um, uh, reducing the amount of vehicle uh, breakdowns that we have. And that can also be tough if you're trying to get to school and your bus breaks down, you know, it's almost like, you know, the, the dog ate my, my homework. Um, and, and so um, we are seeing um, by focusing um, on key components that we're breaking down and actually replacing them um, through capital investments, we're seeing uh, really positive trends in our vehicle breakdowns. We're also introducing new buses um, to the system. We had 112 that we've already purchased, and we have 120 that are coming within the next six months with the goal of over the next five years to completely replace our bus fleet. Um, the reason that I was flagging the missed service is because the, one of the results of having missed service is that you end up with a lot more vehicles crowded than you might otherwise. So we sort of, uh, during the uh, AM peak, which is when kids are trying to get to school, we hit an all-time low in uh, September and October where we had about 9% of trips were full. And that means it's hard to get on the bus. You may or may not be passed up, but it's an unpleasant and a crowded experience. As the green bars increase, um, what you see is that the crowding numbers drop. Um, so far fewer um, full buses. Um, and we expect that that trajectory to continue to um, improve because we are adding service um, to many of our school routes. We have a 10% um, service increase planned, and a lot of those heavy school routes are the first to receive more service. Uh, in January, um, 
we increased service on the 44. Uh, that was a route where we went out, for example, and talked to students at Hillcrest Elementary on Silver. And um, between 7 and 7.50, they were having two buses pass them because they, they couldn't get on. Um, so we increased service on that route. On April 25th, we're also going to be increasing service on some of our heaviest ridership routes. This will touch about 30% of our bus customers, our almost 165,000 people a day, including the 5L on Fulton, uh, the 8X, which serves... Um, both uh, the Outer Mission, Visitation Valley, the downtown and Chinatown area, the 14L and 14X along Mission, uh, the 28 line, which uh, serves schools through the, both the Marina, uh, the Richmond, and the Sunset, the 29 Sunset, and the 38 Geary. Um, so that's, that's something we're really excited about. We're also, as I said, ordering new buses, um, which will give us more 60-foot, the articulated buses, um, to put on routes like the 30 Stockton, uh, where you know, we've, we've got a bus coming every two and a half minutes, but it, it's, it's a small bus. Um, and if we can get those 60-foot buses um, back out there, that will also help tremendously with, with crowding. Um, in addition to the service increases, we are also working on things to make the service um, safer and more reliable and give transit more priority in our streets. Uh, we are uh, really blessed that the voters just passed Prop A and Prop B, which will invest um, $500 million into our infrastructure for pedestrian safety and transit reliability, part of which is 40 miles of muni-forward capital investments, things like more dedicated transit lanes, um, bus bulbs so the bus doesn't have to pull in and out of traffic and we have more room for people to wait, um, new signals and, and things like that. Um, and then some work that I'm really proud of but is, is still a work in proce process is that last May the um, MTA board adopted the a muni um, service equity policy, which essentially says that we're going to be looking at uh, six uh, low-income neighborhoods um, annually, but right now we're, we're going through and collecting a lot of data, going out and talking to customers and residents and trying to understand what are the, um, the biggest uh, transport, transit challenges facing these neighborhoods. And then we're going to link those new investments to both our capital and our operating budget. So we're in the process now of establishing the baseline, and then next January we'll be bringing um, the MTA board recommendations that then would feed into the budget process. So many of the neighborhood um, issues um, where, for example, low-income students are trying to get across the city are issues that we're tackling um, in the equity strategy. Um, and we're finding that the issues vary by neighborhood. You know, in, in Chinatown, for example, the, the biggest issue is crowding. You know, there, there's, there's pretty frequent access. It's easy to get places. Whereas in the Bayview, the challenge is reliability and connectivity um, because um, it's further out. Actually, before you go, I just had a quick um, just clarifying question. When you were um, sharing the data about number of um, crowded buses, um, how do you define crowded, and how did you collect that data? We have automatic passenger counters on about 30% of our buses, and they circulate through the system, so we get very rich data. Um, an automatic passenger counter is essentially two laser beams. If you break this one first, we know you're getting on the bus. If you break this one first, you're getting off the bus. So it's not about whether you pay or not. It's We're just able to track everybody that gets on and off the bus. 
Um, and it gives us really rich data about how many people are boarding, at which stops, how crowded the buses are. So we define um, crowding on our buses based on a square footage per passenger. So we assume that all the seats are full and that there's some standees, but that that's not a pack to the gills uh, situation. So on a 60-foot bus, uh, for example, uh, we consider the bus full if it's got about you know, 90 to 100 people on it. Um, and then for a 40-foot bus, uh, we assume it's full if there's about 60 people on it. So it's a combination of seating and, and standees. Sorry, so for a 60-foot bus, how many seats would be on a 60-foot bus? There's about 60. Oh, there's about 60. So yeah. you're talking about um, all the seats are taken and then about 50% more are standing on the yeah. bus. Okay. Um, I actually, I'm really surprised and I'm very impressed that actually there is that way of SFMTA catching that data. I didn't realize that we had that technology to catch people entering and exiting off of Muni. It's actually really helpful and also understanding how you define um, crowding. Very, very helpful. Um, Commissioner Fewer. Yes, thank you. So I also have a clarifying question. So on the SFUSD student use of the transportation system, uh, um, make sort of um, stats that you have here, do you know the actual number of students that you surveyed? So we, we know that, um, yeah, using the um, the of the best data that we have is the students using the um, the free muni for youth because they're tagging on and off every day, and we have about twenty nine thousand boarding a day. We have additional student customers um, on top of that that do not meet the low and moderate income. Sure, but that should, I, it I gives, you should give you like an order of magnitude. Oh, so excuse me. This is the one that was done by the UC Berkeley um, School of Public Health. So I just wanted to know, is there a number that, so it says percentages, but we don't have actually numbers of students that were surveyed. Or is this 57,000 public school students? I mean, so I, I was wondering what a sampling, how large the sampling was. We'd, we'd be happy to follow up with the sampling Great. plan. And then I also have the same question for um, the 2013, um, the 2013 survey on student perceptions of Muni. And was this all grades? Is it it's just high schools, I guess? And how many students participated, the actual number of it? So what does it really represent? I think that would be helpful, too, just to get a guide. And then also, were these surveys done in multiple languages, or are they only in English? So if you could get that information, that would be great, too. Absolutely. The, the you. youth vote survey is not a transportation-specific survey. It's a survey done by yes. DC, DCYF, right. and I believe that they do have that it's... Coleman it's, started it, quite it, frankly. It, yeah. it, I believe it's, it's multilingual, and they do get a very robust sample size, but we're happy to follow up. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I also just had a couple of follow-up questions. Um, when we were doing some research around this issue, um, we we came across AC Transit's website, and they had a page um, just uh, listing the bus lines serving schools in Alameda County. And I'm curious if we have something similar um, along this line. It seemed like a great resource um, for families and students to learn which bus lines um, uh, kind of connect to which schools um, uh, throughout the county? I, th I think that's a great question and actually gets into the, to the last slide, which is, oh, which is that we are really excited about 
improving opportunities for collaboration. And uh, one of the things that I think will be most impactful is a grant that Anna Vlatsik from the Department of Public Health has, which is going to create a um, basically a, a, a transportation um, roadmap for um, over, is it 100 schools? for 100 schools that will then go into the school handbook and be available both to new and current parents. So it'll show um, the key transit routes. It will show um, the walk paths um, as well as bike sharing and other multimodal facilities. Um, and that's something that I think we could then also incorporate into a more visible web page that we, we share. So that's something we've also talked about, opportunities to, to make some of the great resources that we have um, more available. So identifying a single point of contact for um, SFUSD and SFMTA is something that we've identified as a key next step. Um, we've also, you know, we, we have a good system of coordination in place. Um, just this last President's Day where the school district approached it a little differently, they wanted to give people an opportunity for a four-day weekend. So instead of taking Monday as the holiday, they took Thursday and Friday as the holiday. Um, but we were running a Saturday schedule because it was President's Day and there was no work. So what we did was we worked with the school district to make sure that all of the schools uh, were notified, that blasts were sent out, and then we also supplemented strategically on some of those routes that I showed you so that we had the extra buses um, uh, where students were. So um, another kind of key area is to look at potentially coordinating school start time and end times to ease crowding on muni routes. Um, that's something that the school trippers help with, um, but there's also an opportunity to coordinate, um, coordinate the local crossing guard program to ensure you know, common standards and practices. Um, we have um, school guards that we train, but there's also some uh, more local um, school guard programs. Um, and then just sharing trends and statistics. Um, we're uh, really excited about the potential of repeating the youth vote um, survey in 2015 that we did in, in, in 2013. Okay. Thank you. And I just want to clarify, actually, um, Ms. Kirschbaum, sorry, there's several more folks on the roster um, that want to ask questions. I, I just want to clarify, so, you know, according to the slide that you have on page 19, um, our students shouldn't have seen any crowding um, on our buses between 8 and 9 and 3 to 4 p.m. from November till now? No, I, I want to clarify that there is a relationship between not delivering oh, the service. Okay. But we also have, even with all under of the 5%. service, uh -huh. systematic crowding. Mm hmm which is why we're increasing the service 10%. I see, I see, so sorry. So I, I expect now that we have all of the service delivered and we're about to increase the service, that these numbers are going to continue to I go see. down. And the 5% uh, that we've seen from November through now are the routes that you listed on the next page which include the 5L and the 8X and 14L. Yes, so these are the, the, the routes that are going to be increased in April are shown on this slide, and then right. the 44 was already increased, and then we're going to be doing two more service increases mm -hmm. uh, in um, September when school starts, and then in um, February of 2016. So we have 10% planned, and we're doing it in about 3% um, chunks. 
Thank you. Um, Commissioner uh, Wins. Um, thank you. I, uh, I really want to thank you for this. I do want to say that I want to particularly express my thanks to Muni for putting on the extra buses during the because it took us years to get there, years and years and years of being told that that couldn't be done. And it seemed particularly, I think- Are you talking about the school trippers? Yes, and it seemed particularly difficult, I think, for students who began to understand that because, and maybe increase a lot of activism around transportation because it was never as much of a problem in the morning when adults go to work at the same time that kids go to school. But in the afternoon, there were you know, increased uh, frequency of buses and streetcars at when adults were going home, but they were very crowded in the afternoon when kids were going home from school. So it, it took a long time, and I really, really appreciate this so much. And actually, the data that shows how much less crowded <laughs> the buses are is really remarkable. Um, and also, I really, I do want us to pay attention to, which is kind of surprising to me, the the data about how kids are getting to school, who's using what transportation systems and other ways to get to school. It is amazing how many, what percentage of our kids come to school by car. And um, so I'm hoping that we are figuring out ways to uh, sort of market our transportation services more so that we can encourage more families to use the public transportation system. Um, and uh, that's an area that I'd like us to collaboratively work on because it's information we can get out to our families too. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Mendoza and then fewer. Thank you. Um, so I'm excited that one of the conversations that we've been having was around having MTA be part of the um, Council for Prop C, because the Muni needs is part of the infrastructure conversation that we are trying to build with regards to policies for student for young people and their families. So um, this will be an opportunity to to go forward with a lot of the recommendations that you've already mentioned. And I'm just curious um, on the current process of communications. And I'm asking because we've. Um, in particular because we have a uh, school, a charter school, that's now getting moved from Patrol Hill over to um, to the Bayview, and there's conversations around how do we communicate to you guys that there's now going to be 300 new students coming into the Bayview, and when we look, in, when we look at the routes that come through, and I think it's the 44 and the 54, um, how do we communicate to you that this is happening, one, and then secondly, how we can engage the ambassadors um, during these peak times? Um, because we, we have young people coming from multiple uh, zip codes and, and coming into the top of the hill. So I'm curious how, how that can get sorted through. And I've had conversations with, with um, Director Riskin and I've, give, I've sent him over a heat map to show where all the kids are going to be coming from. And I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see that yet. But. We, we, we did. Um, I, I think it gets to the first point here, which is identifying a single point of contact. So as things like that change, that you don't have to go to Ed Riskin to you know, make sure that we're coordinating with the school. We did have an opportunity um, for the KIPP school. Um, Sulu went out and talked with the principal um, 
about, about their program. Um, the 44 and the 54 do go right by the site, but they're also going to be um, providing some shuttles to 3rd Street and to, to Glen Park. Um, and what we agreed to do was to be there in the fall and then um, support the school as, as those changes roll out. But I, I think a key is a single point of contact. A lot of the information that we get right now um, is through principals um, and through principals reaching out. Commissioner Fewer. Yes, thank you. So this presentation actually answered many, many questions. So, so thanks for this update. It's very appreciative. I mean, appreciate it. So I, um, this last week I met with some students from Lincoln High School and as a f sort of wanting to find out because Lincoln has, I think, for a couple of years been looking at great impact of um, the impact that Muni has had on the transportation of schools to their school around reliability also students have so I just wanted to mention some things and it's some of the things that they mentioned actually were being addressed already and so that's great but they wanted to also say that um, they seem to have a difference of opinion around the, the need for increased transportation they felt at as high school students the need for transportation to school they need more buses there than rather after school because actually after school kids disperse to many different areas they hang out with their friends they stay at school for sports it's more and more increasing clubs and activities after school but to get to school everyone must be at school at the same time yeah. and so they're saying that many times um, buses pass them up Every single student has been late for school multiple times because of Muni. And just because they said it's really the overcrowding. It is buses will not pick them up if it's too crowded. Also, a student gave a recommendation of maybe overhead luggage racks for backpacks. They said our backpacks are huge and they take up so much room. Could we fit more students if not everyone had a big backpack on their back? Um, and they also said that what isn't, isn't on your list, and so I thought I'd mention it, is the 48. So the 48 apparently serves many schools, not just public schools. And so it is greatly impacted. So those students that are on the 28, 48 and also the 44, they say that it's a constant problem. But they also mentioned the 29, because the 29 serves so many schools along its route that they often don't get picked up on that route too. So, but I see that's being addressed here. But the 48 also, they said they cannot, the 48 service ends, it doesn't, doesn't run apparently after 9 8, 9 a.m. and not before two, not before 3 p.m. Now I've never heard of that, quite frankly, and I'm not familiar with the route itself. But they said that the 48. So if you get to want to get to school late, you can't take the 48 because it doesn't run after 9 o'clock. And also, they have an early release day, so you cannot take the 48 because it doesn't run until 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. But yet they're out at uh, before 3 p.m. So they wanted me to bring that issue to you also. Um, everyone that I spoke to, students, they all ride the bus to and from school, so that's very good. Um, but I think the thing, or maybe one student got, got a ride, but it was very rare. Um, most of them said they felt fairly safe on the bus, but that they have also had um, phones taken, they've witnessed some violence on, on the buses. Um, but, and let's see what else did they say, that they seem to see less of the transit enforcers 
ever since we've had free meeting for youth, and I'm wondering about that, are students getting less tickets for not having a, a, valid, a valid validation of being having paid? So that was sort of a question I wanted to ask you. Okay. Um, well, it, I love talking to, to kids because you, you get these just very practical suggestions. The 48, um, it, it, it's probably as close to a school route as we, we have because it, it is intended to go from West Portal to 3rd Street, and then during school hours, we extend it to the beach. And it's our only route that does that. And one of our recommendations that came out of the Transit Effectiveness Project in our system study is that it would be much simpler and there would be a mobility benefit if it, was, if it extended to the beach all day long. Um, so that's not something that is in our current two-year budget, but it is something that we're going to be bringing to the board in our next two-year budget. That being said, extending it so that we're we're able to serve early school letouts. That's a tweak um, that, that we could definitely look at. So I'll get the, um, uh, through the staff, I'll get the contact information um, from the, for that particular school, and we can look at the, at the start times. Because those kinds of adjustments are, are often relatively easy uh, for us to make. Um, the uh, routes that you identified, we are um, increasing. So the 28 were um, in the morning, we're slipping a few extra um, trips just because of that school activity. Um, but um, over the next 12 months, we're, we're looking to increase service substantially along the 19th Avenue corridor and uh, make the 28 limited, which is now at sort of, again, odd school times, make that an all-day route, and also extend it over into the outer mission um, so that we have new connections that we don't have today. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Supervisor Campos. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Commissioner Walton, and then Supervisor Campos. Thank you, Supervisor Kim. Uh, just a quick question for my clarification, because I'm not sure. I thought I heard you say that school troopers or certain buses can't carry just students due to federal regula regulations and resources? So because, um, because we receive money from the Federal Transit Administration, we cannot um, be the yellow school bus. So we, we cannot um, deliver service that is not public. And by public, they mean available to all potential customers and restricted to just students. Um, but we do um, start routes, as I said, at the school so that the students benefit from them. And then other customers, as the students um, uh, exit, then there's room for other customers to, to hop on. Great. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Thank you to staff for the presentation. It's great to see the members of the Board of Education here in City Hall and to uh, all the youth and all the staff from SFUSD. Uh, thank you for being here. Ms. Uh, Kirschbaum, just a quick question uh, following up on uh, the, the issue of, uh, for instance, O'Connell and, and Ida B. Wells. Um, so right now, what is the, the point of contact if there is uh, a change in uh, location, assignment of a school? How does that work, uh, let's say, as of today going forward? How, how would uh, that communication happen between the school district and, and Muni? 
So what, what we're recommending is that we identify a single point of contact. What typically happens now is that the principal reaches out mm -hmm. either to myself or Susanna in the schedules department or Sulu who is available and known um, to the principals and, and has that, that relationship. And do we know who that point of contact will be or is that just being worked out or? It's it's it, for the for the short term it's Candace, okay. um, but we will um, identify somebody who more long term can maintain those relationships. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Supervisor Campos, um, and thank you, Ms. Kirschbaum. I was really um, very impressed by the presentation and how data rich um, SFMTA is. I was really great to get all of this information compiled, and I know that you didn't have an extended period of time to do that, so I just appreciate. Um, the work that was taken. Uh, this is really a first step. Uh, we really want to ensure that this dialogue and collaboration continues because I think there's a lot of um, work that um, all of our um, agencies can be doing together um, to make sure that we are providing the best transportation system possible for our students. And having said that, um, at this time before um, we may have other presenters speak. So I, I just want to be sensitive to the time. Uh, we do have many members of the public that are here to speak on this item. Um, so I'd like to just open up for public comment at this time and then um, leave some room for more discussion and questions after that. Thank you. So at this time, um, opening up for public comment, if you'd like to speak, please do line up um, and, and approach the microphone. Yes, and before we do, and while folks are lining up, uh, uh, Commissioner Mendoza um, to make some additional points. Thank you. I just wanted to thank our uh, director of facilities where our transportation department is located, um, David Golden and Nick Kastner, our director of sustainability, who are here in the audience today. And I think one of the things that, that both have acknowledged is that we need to have better communications with MTA and so we'll, um, as, a, as the board members, direct them to find the, point, the appropriate point portion so that you have a connection at the, at the school district. So. Um, but I wanted to thank them for being here. Thank you. Please do approach the mic. <clears throat> Good afternoon, Super Board of Supervisors. My name is Andrew, and I'm currently attending uh, Lowell High School. And so for the past six years, I've been riding Muni to get in and out of my uh, uh, school. I first rode the One California to get to Roosevelt Middle School in Richmond from Chinatown. And the bus not only drove students from my school, but they also drove students from Washington High School and Presidio Middle School and even UCSF. And uh, the amount of commute I spent like every day during middle school was about uh, two hours. And now I'm waking up every morning at 6 a.m. to go uh, catch the dirty 45 or 8X to transfer to the M or K line to uh, go across the city to Lowell. And I noticed there are students from CCSF, SF State, Balboa, Mercy, AP Janine, all riding the same bus with me. And Muni is our school bus. Uh, we all needed to go to school around like 8 a.m. And uh, sometimes there's these like, you know, sometimes I would like, uh, I would. Uh, sometimes I would miss the MRK like just about a few minutes before and it's like 30 minutes before the first class and I check the timer and it's 16 minutes before the next MRK and like 
you know, those are only like those two lines are the only ways for me to get to school. And <clears throat> uh, I, you know, I feel that the metro station should like uh, make the M or K line more abundant for like and reliable for the like the for the sake of the early uh, school writers and like early student writers. Um, and I hope that we can look at improving like transit lines and finding like exploring for like more dedicated uh, transit lines that could lead us to school without the anxiety of like getting tardy. All right, thank you. Can I, can I ask a follow-up question? So on a good day when you catch all the buses on time, how long does it take you to get from, I assume, Chinatown to Lowell? Um, usually it's a rough uh, 35 minutes, a rough like 35 minutes, because like traffic, the dirty 45 and 8X are like uh, heavily influenced by traffic and you know, the, the metro is like, it just goes straight. It's like really fast. So on a good day, from going from home to school take you 35 minutes? Mm-hmm. And then on a day where, you know, you might have missed the... the, the Usually just like this one bus at this like certain time that, uh, you know, once you get off the 8X or dirty, like you can catch it. But sometimes like, you know, just miss it by a few seconds. And like you have to wait a really long time for another uh, M or K. Mm-hmm. And and how long is your commute on a bad day? Um, like rough fifty minutes. Okay, great. Thank you All so right. much. Thank you. Good afternoon, board of supervisors. My name is David, and I'm also a student at Lowell High School. And I live in Visitation Valley, and every day I ride the bus to school. I take the 8X first, then I transfer at Balboa Park to take the 29. But the thing with the 29 is that it serves many high schools. For example, it goes from starting from where it starts, it serves Burton High School, Balboa High School, uh, Lowell High School, Lincoln, Washington, and it serves also colleges and middle schools for SFSU, City College, AP Janini, and, Mid- and Visitation Valley Middle School. Every time I take the, mor- take the morning buses, it, I always have to at least skip at least one bus to pass me by to at least get on the bus. It's, because after that, many buses come by, and I don't really, I don't really have time to get on a crowded I don't, I can't get on the crowded bus. Because many times, bus drivers will really skip you, skip you or they pretty much push you out because they don't want you behind the yellow line. So I think there's an issue with equity here because Many of the bus, the 29 is serving many schools here, but the thing is that the, the time they come here to the, to stop isn't enough because the runtime is around 8 to 10 minutes. And that time isn't really enough because most of us students really want to take the bus at a certain time to get to school. For example, for us at Lowell, we get, want to get to school around 7.30 or 7.25 to get to our first block class at 7.35. And many students also take the bus at 7 o'clock at Balboa Park. So pretty much we don't really have enough time to take it. And another issue is that when we go home from school, we all, all have these, at Lowell, we have all these other schools before us, and they always have to be, at, when we get off at 3.30, there's two schools with being very crowded. So what I want for you guys is to uh, please uh, to increase the amount of buses running in the morning and the afternoon to help increase uh, the amount of ridership and ensure that we get home to, and to schools on time. Thank you. Thank you.
everyone. I am Stephanie, and I am a youth leader at CCDC. So um, there are many bus routes that brings students to school, but then the problem is how long it takes for students to get to school because there are um, bus stops where it takes students a long time for them to get there, and then they had to wait for a long time, especially those from Excelsior, Bayview, and other districts. And um, uh, during that time, there might be buses that are crowded, so then they will skip the stop, and the students had to wait more. Um, also, there are students who had to take multiple of transits just to get to school, which takes a long time. And then they might be late to class, which takes away their education time. So I think they there sh there should be wait Muni um, should find a way to provide services so that students can get to school on time. Thank you. Thank you. I think if I can just ask a couple of more questions, if you could speak specifically speak to certain lines that you'd like to see increased service on, or mention how long it takes you on average to get to school on a good day or a longer day. Um, I think that the dirty should have more bus line because there are many people from Chinatown who needs to ride the bus, and I don't take the bus because I can just walk to school. Okay. Thank you. Uh, hello everyone. Uh, I'm David Yi and I go to Galileo High School and I live in uh, Visitation Valley. So um, on an average school day I take the 8BX and the 30 to school and most of my problems come from the 8BX that comes early in the morning. So I take the first 8BX every day. The first BX comes at 6.50. And uh, I'm not sure what happened here, but it used to come earlier around 6.46, <laughs> 6 6.47. Uh, and gradually it just started coming later and later. And this causes a lot of crowdedness and um, overpopulation. And uh, this causes a lot of issues as well things like people being forced to uh, be on the stairs, which is extremely dangerous and probably not uh, vital. So um, also the first APX that comes, uh, that usually comes around 650 now is rather consistent, but the second one um, can have, um, well, the intervals for the APX are not consistent at all. For example, the um, second bus can either come five minutes after the first bus or 20 minutes after the first bus. And of course, this will cause problems. And my second issue is that um, I've noticed this mainly on the 30 bus going to school and um, leaving school. So buses that aren't crowded can appear crowded because of um, people that crowd around the steps. So um, there's a lot of people standing at a certain area, which makes the bus seem crowded. But um, in reality, in the back and in the middle, there's plenty of space. Um, and bus drivers often try to, 
uh, tell everyone to get to the rear, but this doesn't work. And this is where I see the um, addition of the um, on-bus enforcement being helpful. Um, thank you. Thank you. And, and when the timer goes off, always feel free to finish your sentence. I know it can seem very alarming or disruptive, but please feel free to finish your sentence after the bell rings. <clears throat> hey, uh, my name is David. I live in Bayview, and I attend Galileo High School. So as, as you guys can probably understand, the location of, my, uh, of where I live and the school that I attend is almost half a city apart, and it takes me pretty long to go to my school. That's not the biggest problem here. Every, every morning, I have to leave my house at uh, around 6.15. Even, even though the bus stop is practically right in front of my house, I still have to leave my house uh, very early due to the fact that I have to take the T. I have two routes. I can either take the T and, uh, uh, and then take the 30 on Market Street, or I can take the T and switch to uh, 8BX and then take the 30. And both routes are really unreli uh, unreliable. The T always, the timer, it, like, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's, it says 10 minutes, but really it comes like five minutes later. So even when I leave my house uh, earlier than I really should, and I need my, I'm a high school student, I need my sleep. But no, this sort of thing, I really need, uh, really suggest to like, uh, increase the make the make make not just the T but all the transits around the city more reliable. If it says it's gonna come at that time, uh, I would like it to keep its word and really come at that time. Thank, Thank you. you. And if I can just ask you, you know, how long your commute takes on average? You know, on the best days and on the slowest days. Uh, on the best day, if I just leave my house and there suddenly there's a T there and I don't have to. Um, wait that long for the 30. It'll take me maybe 40 to 45 minutes to go to school, uh, to get to school. And on bad days when, uh, when the tea never comes and, uh, then it, it takes me almost an hour and a half. That's why I have to leave that early. Uh, Commissioner Fewer has a question as well. Yeah, I wanted to know, so on the days that, because of Muni, that you're late for school, what happens when you get to school, when you tell them that you're late because of Muni? Well, I, I can't tell them anything. I just go into class. <laughs> oh, don't you have to go and get a, um, like a tardy pass or something? No. No. So when you're I late... I think that's uh, only if I'm about... I don't know. I, I've never been that late. Uh, but well, because you start at six fifteen, uh, it's. But I'm wondering what our school. So that's okay. I was just wondering what our school policy is around students who arrive late to school and they they're late for their class. What response are you, 
um, the teachers have and how sympathetic the schools are to the situation, that's all. But thanks for sharing today. My, my teachers don't really care. They just, they see me enter the class and they're just like, oh, okay, you're here. That's it. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're probably really glad to see you. Thanks. <laughs> Thank well, you. I, what is the start time for Galileo? Uh, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. Thank you. Good afternoon, Board Supervisors. I'm Stephen Jang from uh, the Bayview District, and I, curr I currently uh, attend Galileo High School. Personally, when I take uh, the TR-54 to school, it usually takes around 10 minutes to, uh, to wait for the bus if it, one leaves. And for the 54, it's very inconsistent, and it usually takes around 20 minutes to 30 minutes. That's why when I come, uh, come home from school, I usually have to walk, to, uh, walk back home. So the uh, inconsistency of the 54 really like, uh, makes the time for me to get home longer. Besides that, I see the cluster of buses every time I get to, uh, go to school or go somewhere because when I... Uh, Go, uh, go somewhere, I see that the time waiting for the bus is around 10 minutes. And when that 10 minute ends, I see that there is like four or five buses coming together. And that was uh, very strange for me because I always, like, I never see a 54. Even when I get uh, off the bus from that stop, I never see the 54. Um, Moreover, uh, the T, it's, uh, I take it uh, during, from 6.30 to 6.50, and it usually, uh, uh, there's usually isn't that many T, so I would like uh, more T's uh, from 6.30 to 6.50, since that's when most people are coming, or going to school. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Hello, SFMTA boards. I'm Andy, and I'm a youth leader from CCDC. I take the 30 northbound to Galileo High School. By the time I get on the bus, it's usually packed with seniors who buy groceries and students who go to Marina, Francisco, and Galileo. Oftentimes, there's a lack of buses, which explains why it is densely populated. Crowded bus can cause problems. I used to go to Presidio Middle School, and by the time I leave school and get on the One California, it is packed with seniors and students who go to Galileo, I mean, not Galileo, uh, Presidio, and Washington. Uh, when, if, if a student or seniors fall, it will fall. the rest of the students and seniors will fall. Uh, uh, oh, um, I'd like to request the SFMTA boards to provide special buses which makes the seniors and students feel more safe 
and more enjoyable rides. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> My name is Shirley. I'm also a youth leader from CCDC. Um, as many of our youth leaders have said, um, we think that school bus routes are important, especially to those who are low-income and transit-dependent students who take the who take the bus to school every day and may be limited to the opportunity to go to the school of their choice. For many immigrant low-income families, many of their parents might not have enough time to take to take their kids to school because they have to work for long hours, so they might not have the time to drive their kids to school in the morning. If these students attend school that are far away from their neighbor <clears throat> neighborhoods, it would require them long commute hours and also probably multiple bus transfers in order for them to get a school. Especially in the southeast neighborhood, such as the Bayview District or the Visitation Valley, where there are less schools available for them to choose. Also, Matt, as, as, an youth, as one of our youth leaders have previous, previously stated, um, managing to get to school on time early is also an, important, uh, also an important and difficult task to do because of some of the inaccuracy of the bus arrival times. For example, I am actually an SF State student and I go to I live in Ocean View, which is pretty near to school, but because of the free Muni for Youth program that I'm still part of, I usually take the bus, I usually take the metro to get to school. But one time it was, it said that I had to wait for five or 10 minutes, but I ended up waiting like 30 minutes, which I could have just walked to class. Um, Muni is a lifeline for many students. We know that, we know this by the fact that many youth even fought for the free Muni for Youth program. And we know that many students take, rely on the public transportation to get to school. So this is why school bus routes are, import, are important to be well utilized and implemented into these students' travel patterns. Dedicated school bus lines would create more conveniency for students who are transit dependent, who rely on commuting to school on a daily basis. And we also want to thank the city to provide safety to these students for commuting to school for funding for Vision Zero. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Anna He. I'm an intern for the Youth Commission and a junior at Little High School. I live right here in District 6, um, like a 10-minute walk from here. Um, every day I wake up at 6.30 and I take the K or the M at 6.45 and I get to school around 7.30ish. Um, what I've noticed is that the buses are crowded both in the beginning and at the end of the school times, but um, especially after school because that's when extracurricular, extracurriculars end. And there is a sort of herd of people walking to the bus stop and I've seen like hundreds, of, um, around 90 or 100 people at the bus stop waiting for the M. And also, I just wanted to make a comment about the first week of school where um, the teachers give students books to, um, to bring home. And what I've noticed is that people will be holding their books and will have backpacks on their back. And it's really hard to grab onto the handlebars. And also, um, I've noticed that people who are vertically challenged, like me, have trouble holding onto the bar sometimes. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that feedback. Uh, 
Um, good afternoon. My name is Mei Fan Dan. I'm a Chinatown resident and also a junior in Galway High School. I just bring up a point that I think 30 is a bus that I want MTA to extend service in the morning because I always take the 30 to, uh, to Galway High School. And every morning when the 30 gets to Chinatown, the first stop in Chinatown, it's always crowded with students. The, those students are already stepping on the stairs so uh, the youth and uh, all the students in, the, in that stop can get on. And some of the bus will skip uh, the stop because it's so crowded already. So I just want the MTA to extend the service because the 30 is so uh, tiny, it's like the short one, so it have limited space. I want them to have like the longer bus so there's more students can get on the bus. And there's another point I'll bring up is uh, I know that uh, because of the bus are so crowded, many of the students will walk to school instead of taking the bus. So I just wanted you to pay more attention to the pedestrian safety side so there more students can get to school safely. And thank you. Thank you so much. Are there any other members of the public um, that would like to speak on this item? Seeing none, public comment is now closed. I just want to thank um, all the students that came to speak today. It's so important to have your actual voices um, heard at these hearings. So thank you for um, making the time to be here. So um, commissioners, supervisors, any comments or questions? Okay. Um, again, I know um, Commissioner Mendoza recognized but, uh, the, SF, the staff from SFUSD that are here to speak on this item, but I just want to thank David Golden and Nick Kastner um, from SFUSD um, for being here today to answer any questions, if we had any. Um, so thank you for your time as well. Um, I think that this is a really, really important uh, discussion, and this is um, the right committee um, to be having a discussion that talks about um, better interagency coordination between um, SFUSD and one of our city agencies. Um, I think that, you know, I, I learned a lot in today's hearing based on the data that was presented today, and I'd really love to continue to see um, um, coordination hopes so we can work to improve, um, especially upon some of the comments that we heard today. And I think what I largely heard um, partially was, of course, the, the time it took to get to school, but it seems what uh, is even a larger issue is the frequency of the buses um, to ensure that um, students can get on when, when buses are crowded and they're skipping over stops. Um, and of course, uh, its connection to uh, Next Muni, which I love, um, but can be very frustrated by when I see it go to zero and then no bus come <laughs> and then have to wait the 10 or 15 minutes for the next bus. Uh, but I, I'm really glad that we had this first hearing. Um, I hope that we can continue this discussion today. Um, so seeing no further comments, um, what I'd like to do is to make a motion to continue this to the call of the chair. We have the motion and we can do that without um, opposition. Madam Clerk, are there any other announcements? There are none, Supervisor. Seeing none, can I? Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Wins. Thank you. I just want to remind the committee that I've asked several times that we have a hearing on the After School for All initiative. Okay, I'm and sorry that I didn't get that. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, it's. I would have liked to have had it before now, but I know we have had a, some scheduling uh, conflicts with our own staff, which, and I think that they also might have that for the next couple of months. So I'd like to ask that somebody work with the staff to figure out when would be a good time to do that. Had we been able to have that hearing prior to this month, we would have been uh, publicly discussing expanded after school opportunities for people who are in the school assignment process. But uh, if we do it later, 
it would be, you know, before school starts, when people are thinking about school. I don't know when would be the best time, but I think it is important since we've done so much work on and significant expansion of after-school opportunities for that to be publicly discussed so that people understand what we're doing before school starts next year. Great. Um, our office will work on that. If you can let us know the appropriate staff person to work with, we can do that. Um, just so the committee is aware, um, there are at least four items pending for April and May. Um, we do have one on homeless families um, within our school district, which I, I know um, uh, was a great discussion recently in December with a major grant um, from some of our private sector folks. Um, we also have a continuation of an item on uh, the work that our planning department is now doing with SFUSD on our growing population and about whether we need to um, plan also to build schools um, or grow schools um, with our population uh, growing, which is very exciting. And we do also have uh, on the docket um, a hearing item on the health curriculum and a sexual um, sexual relationship um, and consent uh, 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 curriculum as well. And so I, I know Supervisor Cohen also has a hearing on the docket, which we're trying to schedule. So that's just what's coming up um, over the next two months. Okay. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any announcements? No, there are none, Supervisor. Seeing none, meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>